0: Welcome Litigation Nation, I'm your host, Jack Sanker. Today's story is New York passed the first ever right-to-repair law that would finally break up service monopolies and allow consumers to fix their electronics any way they choose. Next, can an artificial intelligence obtain a patent for software or for other inventions that it came up with? And lastly, we'll check out the investigation into the leak of the Dobbs opinion that would overturn Roe v Wade and see how much progress has been made in identifying the leaker. All of that and more, here's what you need to know. Up first, New York passed the first ever right to repair legislation that includes electronics. The bill is called the Fair Repair Act, which would require all manufacturers to sell digital electronic products in the state to make tools, parts, and instructions for repair available to both consumers and independent shops. According to The Verge, Self-repair advocacy groups such as It are calling this a major victory. Quote, the passage of this bill means that repairs should become less expensive and more comprehensive. People who want to fix their own stuff can, the post reads. Where before, manufacturers could push consumers to use their manufacturer-authorized shops. Now they'll have to compete, unquote. A similar bill was passed in Massachusetts for automobile data, and Colorado passed one for powered wheelchairs, and the new bill in New York is for electronics. However, it has several exceptions for home appliances, medical devices, and agricultural equipment. So why is this so important? Well, for now, manufacturers like Apple are notorious for requiring in-warranty repairs to take place by Apple technicians. Not only would using a third-party repair service even for like a cracked screen potentially void the warranty, But it's also difficult to find people with that level of expertise with, say, Apple products because Apple doesn't publish repair materials or make that information readily available. The New York law would require them to generally make the process easier. By and large, these groups have a monopoly on the repair and service of products that you already own. Companies like Apple have leveraged that to create a lucrative aftermarket service. That's right, I'm talking about AppleCare and various other aftermarket service and repair plans that technology manufacturers often sell to their product end users. Think about it. If you can't repair the product anywhere else and your only choice is an Apple-certified technician, you basically have to pay for AppleCare or risk minor damage to your device being a total loss. In that vein, Apple's software updates regularly discriminate against repairs done by third-party technicians. According to an executive director of tradeorganizationrepair.org, quote, Apple has twice pushed out iOS updates that killed the touch functionality of screens repaired by third parties. People who had broken their screens and either repaired themselves or had them repaired by a non-Apple-associated store woke up after the iOS update to find their touchscreens didn't work. The problem was bad enough that some sources stopped working on iPhones. Others issued refunds that affected customers. On the iPhone 11 and the 11 Pro, a pop-up constantly tells the user their screen isn't a verified replacement part, unquote. I should note that Apple maintains that it loses money doing repairs, but that critics and industry watchers generally just don't believe that claim. Now, the bill has a lot of support for other reasons besides general consumer fairness and support of the idea if you buy something, you should be allowed to repair it however you see fit. Now, I'm citing from a local News 10 outlet from New York. Quote, sponsor the bill, Assemblywoman Pat Fahey says 27 states has been trying to get similar legislation passed. She says this is a huge success for New York in the future of electronic waste. And if we were to just hold on to our phones for one more year, just one more year, it would be the equivalent of taking 600,000 cars off the road each year, she said, unquote. Obviously, the repair business itself would stand to benefit from this bill. Louis Rosman, the owner of Rosman Repair Group, has been fighting for this legislation for eight years and explains the hurdles his business currently goes through to get parts they need. Quote, this industry really does rely on the kindness of strangers in their countries to go through, you know, dumpsters where things may be getting thrown out, take PC boards where they were discarded, take chips off of them, and then sell them to people like me. If we could actually buy these chips and get these schematics from the company directly, it would allow us to say yes to things we'd otherwise say no to, he said, unquote. So proponents of the legislation say that close to 30 states are looking into doing something similar and that a potential federal bill, maybe in the works in the near future, though I wouldn't hold my breath for Congress to actually do that. Up next, the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Federal Circuit was posed an interesting question this past week. Can an artificial intelligence be credited for things that it invented within the context of the Patent Act? Put another way, can an AI receive a patent for something it, quote, created? Stephen Thaler, a computer scientist, has been going around the world, he was in the UK, the EU, Australia, South Africa, asking those respective governments to award Thaler's creation, an AI called Davis, patents for certain inventions that it allegedly invented. Now, I should note that everywhere except South Africa said no, but hey, even the fact that South Africa awarded Davis an AI a patent is pretty exciting. DAVIS stands for Device for Autonomous Bootstrapping of United Science. I have no idea what that means, but according to Reuters, quote, Stephen Thaler's attorney told the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Federal Circuit that Thaler's DAVIS system should be considered the inventor on patent applications covering a beverage container used on fractal geometry and a light beacon that flashes in a new way, unquote, whatever that means. So the argument and discussion with the panel uh, is not all that exciting. I did look at it. The Patent Act is meant to bestow certain protections and privileges to individuals. So the argument essentially boils down to whether an AI could be an individual within the meaning of the Patent Act. And the panel has already noted that the Supreme Court typically interprets individuals in these kinds of federal statutes to mean human beings. So I don't think that Thaler's arguments are going to get very far. Still, what should happen when an AI comes up with something and then someone else tries to patent it? Should the people who designed and built the AI get some kind of credit for the invention of the AI? The law is going to have to adapt, I think, eventually. This is obviously going to be the early stages of applying the Patent Act, which is decades old, to the developing technological landscape of artificial intelligence and things like that. So as it stands, I would expect that either Congress or the federal circuit is going to have to issue some guidance on this and we'll have to see what happens over the next couple of years. All right, and some quick hits on some of the beats we've been covering lately just to keep tabs on them as they're developing in the, and this is bleak, in the guns slash school shootings file. Lawyers from family of one of the victims in the Uvalde school shooting in Texas are gearing up to sue the manufacturers of a weapon that was used in the massacre. Specifically, they seem to be preparing to file some kind of action based on the marketing slash advertising of Daniel Defense, which is the manufacturer of the gun that was used in the shooting. Um, from what I can tell, it seems as though they're going to be alleging that the company was advertising to high school wage consumers. In Ohio, state lawmakers just passed a bill that would reduce, yes, reduce the number of hours of training needed for teachers to carry a weapon on school grounds. Previously, the rule in Ohio required like 700 hours of certified training before a teacher could carry a gun in a school zone. Now that's going to be reduced to 24, just 24 hours. Turning now to the expected overturning of Roe versus Wade and the fallout from that In The Guardian this week is a sad story about California women struggling with addiction, losing their unborn children, but then being arrested and spending up to two years in jail awaiting trial. In effect, the women were charged with homicide, then sat behind bars immediately after delivering their stillborn children from 16 to 24 months. The story is heartbreaking. The tragedy of the lost children is compounded by the fact that these mothers had to deal with the loss from behind bars without access to family or counseling or anything. If you're interested in the piece, I recommend you read it because it raises important questions, namely, if you are pregnant but want to get help, potentially getting clean, things like that, reaching out to your doctor in those cases only ensures that the police would be called by the hospital staff. Put another way, it completely disincentivizes pregnant women to seek help, which is the exact opposite of what we should want. People think that these kind of prosecutions and criminalizations and policing around pregnancies will increase if and when Roe is repealed. I tend to agree. I think we're in for a rocky ride when that decision comes down all around. There's an article in Slate this week which argues that the dissenting justices in the upcoming Roe decision, the Dobbs case, and assuming that the leaked version stands, could actually block the decision. Now, apparently the court's rules require a quorum to hear the case six out of nine justices must be seated, five out of nine of them signed onto the opinion overturning row. So the piece argues that since that technically the dissenting four justices could just recuse themselves denying the quorum and therefore blocking the court from acting. Now, I didn't fact check any of this and Slate isn't exactly known for its legal reporting, but everyone knows nothing beats winning on a procedural technicality, so I included it here regardless. And for our last story, I wanted to follow up on the investigation of the leak in the Dobbs case. This is the leaked opinion that reportedly would overturn Roe v. Wade. The U.S. Supreme Court Marshal Gail Curley has been demanding the phone records and affidavits from law clerks as she continues to investigate who leaked the infamous Dobbs opinion according to Law 360. At this point, it's been like, what, four weeks? I'm amazed that they haven't found this person yet. I think it's absolutely bizarre, given the pool of of potential people being, what, maybe 200? It's absolutely bizarre they haven't found out who did this. But anyways, I digress. The clerks are under pressure to sign affidavits and to turn over sensitive personal information, leading some clerks to consider whether they ought to hire outside counsel. Now, May and June is the busy season for the court and its staff. They have to get opinions out on another like 30 or 40 cases prior to the June 30 recess, which is upcoming, and reportedly are usually working around the clock around this time of year to do so. According to Law 360, quote, one former Supreme Court clerk, Washington University of Law Professor Daniel Epps, said the reported demands for intimate personal information such as phone records are putting law clerks in an unfair position. I find it a little troubling given that it's a fairly significant intrusion on people's privacy, said Epps, who clerked for former Justice Anthony Kennedy. What's next? Are they going to say, give us the password to your Gmail account? Give us your phone so we can go through the text? At a certain point, it really looks inappropriate. Epps said that this time of year is typically the hardest for any Supreme Court clerk class, and in adding a leak investigation, the demands of personal records would make it all the more so. You take that as your starter, that a certain amount of stress that's going to be the toughest part of the job and then you add this incredible layer on top of that basically being a target of an investigation that could result in very serious professional consequences i think that this is a really tough time to be working there even for all the clerks that who didn't leak he said unquote famed legal commentator and harvard law professor lawrence tribe offered his advice to the clerks quote I don't think in general employers have the right to demand that their employees turn over anything as comprehensive and intimate as their entire cell phone records, but I think employment as a law clerk in the Supreme Court is quite different, Tribe, who clerked for the late Justice Potter Stewart, told Law 360 in an interview. Remember that law clerks typically at the Supreme Court are much sought after for all kinds of jobs immediately after they leave, Tribe said. They get bonuses of hundreds of thousands of dollars on top of the very high salaries that law firms already pay. I don't think any of those perks are likely to go to a law clerk who refuses to cooperate with an inquiry of this kind. So someone who takes the advice of standing up for their rights would pay an understandably high price. It seems to me that leaking a draft opinion is quite properly an offense that someone would pay for with their job, he added. Of course, the classic question posed to criminal defendants is now being posed to these fancy Ivy League educated law clerks many of whom I'm sure have well-known lawyers and Ivy alums in their family. I'm being investigated for a crime and I don't know what to do, but does hiring a lawyer make me look guilty? Best of luck to everyone involved. All right, everyone, thanks. That's the show reminder every Tuesday, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, wherever you get your shows. Sorry the news has been a little bleak lately, but we'll do our best to find something more optimistic for the next couple of shows here. Otherwise, we'll talk to you next week.